Amen. Well, he is risen. That was your chance, church. He is risen. All right, I have one housekeeping. Uh, if you have some seats next to you towards the middle, we still have some people trickling in. Uh, before you get too comfortable, could you slide in, maybe make a few seats available on the edges? That would be a blessing to us. Uh, and as you're doing that, uh, I want to turn your attention to John 20. I'm going to reference this later, but let me, let me read this. It's John 20 and Mary Magdalene in the garden. I'm going to start in verse 11. It's so interesting the way that she interacts with Jesus. Listen to this. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Amen? Amen. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And they said these things to her. John 20 will become important towards the end of the sermon. Let me just tell you, I want to be in the habit of praying for other preachers. So we're opening the scriptures today to that passage that Jake read, to Philippians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can open it there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can look it up on a digital Bible. You can follow along the scriptures here. But I want to pray for a good friend of mine. His name is Pastor Alan James. And he pastors a church in Knoxville, Tennessee, Salem Baptist Church. He's actually our old college pastor from the University of Texas, let me tell you how good God is. He texted me yesterday, said, Aaron, praying for you and the new church, your first Easter. I'm praying that God moves and does a big thing. And I said, let me pray for you before I preach. And I asked him, Alan, what passage are you praying? I just want to pray with more detail. You know what he said? I'm preaching Philippians 2 this Easter. Isn't God so good? So let's pray for Alan and all our brothers and sisters in the larger body of Christ at Salem Baptist Church. And then we'll open to Philippians chapter two together. Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to lift up the name of Jesus. What a great name, name above all names. But now we continue in worship by sitting under your word. And would it be that we would do just that? in humble submission, in humble surrender to say, God, when you say go, I will go. When you say rest, I will rest. When you say obey, I will obey. Help us to understand exactly how to live for you, for your glory. There are those in this room that need eyes to be opened, scales to fall off, to see Jesus as Savior and King. Would you do a saving work? 
There are those in the room that need to fix their eyes on Christ once again because they have been distracted for some reason. God, won't you do a sanctifying work? And we pray for Pastor Allen. I thank you for his faithful ministry for decades. And even now, as he stands to proclaim, Jesus is better, Jesus has a better name, Jesus is a better king, would it be that you do an amazing work for your glory at Salem Baptist Church? Use those people to fulfill your mission. And I pray exactly as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Use our brothers and sisters and use the leadership of Pastor Alan James. Won't you bless him? And we pray you would do an amazing work here we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. One more chance. He is risen. He is risen amen. We turn to Philippians chapter two. Many scholars see this as a first century hymn. You like hymns? I know there's some people in the room that like hymns. Yeah, yeah, only a few. All right, we started with one this morning, all right? That was your chance. Say, yes, Pastor Aaron, sing more hymns. <laughs> This is a first century hymn. Jesus Christ, the one who has a name above all names, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what they'd say. This is what they would sing. And Paul is using it here to encourage the saints. Now, I've got some favorite songs. My kids are gonna be in the next service and I know one of their favorite songs right now is on the radio. You, know, you might know this song from Christian Radio. I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to give it my best shot, Jake. It goes, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed. Got this heartbeat in my chest. You know it doesn't matter about the rest. Thank you. That was your chance. Songs like this stir my heart. Songs like the one that we sang this morning, this great hymn, To God Be the Glory, or even a simple childlike song like Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. The Bible tells me so. What we turn to in Philippians chapter two is this great song that stirred the saints. It stirred them to their gospel unity, this koinonia fellowship. It stirred them to greater obedience. We're gonna read this and dwell on this. Before I do, let me just tell you some greater context. In general, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for the church's growth and for the church's confidence in the Lord. Chapter one, verse six, a great promise. I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Church, be confident. Christ is coming back. Be confident he's gonna carry you through. But he's also writing for their joy. So there's this theme all the way through about joy, joy, rejoice. Rejoice that God is good, that he's a promise keeper. Rejoice that you have new life in Christ. And so we turn our attention just to this small section of a praise song that we might, as a church, rejoice, that we might grow in Christ, that we might remember our greater confidence in him. And so with that in mind, let's turn to Philippians chapter two, verse five through 11. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a praise hymn. This is a song to sing about the goodness of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But even in the midst of all that, we have a command. Did you catch it? Verse five. Have this mind among yourselves. See Jesus for who he is and let that change the way you live. See Jesus as the true king. See him as better. See him as the one who has the name above every name. See him and change your mind that you might live for him. Now, scholars debate about this command. Is it that we are already in Christ, which says it in the context, which is yours in Christ. Therefore, we are able to have this kind of mindset, this attitude of humility and sacrifice and service and living for God's glory. Or is it that we need to take on Christ because we don't yet have this mindset or attitude? And I just am curious in the room, don't have to tell me, which one are you? (laughs) Do you already have this mindset? Or do you need Christ so that you might have this mindset? And let me just tell you, no matter where you are this morning, the response is the same for everybody. Repent, believe, walk with Christ. Repent, believe, walk with Christ. So there's the command. Verse five, have this mind among yourself. Let me challenge you to see a few things as we walk through this text. Number one, see the Savior for who he really is. We can't have this mindset until we see him as who he is already. Last week, the student pastor, Sean Sivils, did a really good job encouraging us from John chapter one. Jesus equal to the father. He was there at the beginning. He spoke things into creation. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. But if you've been here the last several weeks, we've also looked at the other Christocentric passages in the New Testament. Colossians one, just let me read it briefly. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and things invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That word means supreme. He's the best. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus this morning. See him as he really is. He's better, he's supreme, he's preeminent, he's the best. And not only did he make all things, he's ruling over all things, things seen and things unseen. But did you catch the end of Colossians 1? Jesus made peace by the blood of the cross. Who he is, but also what he's done. And we see something similar in Hebrews chapter one. We've 
we looked at a couple weeks ago. Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's a reason to look at John 1 and Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 and Philippians 2. They teach us things about who Jesus is. He's equal to the Father, the same substance. He is great. He made all things. He is sitting in a place of authority. That's who he is. So this morning, would you see the Savior as who he really is? And just briefly in Philippians 2, we get further description of who Jesus is. Verse 5 through 8 give us this great picture of Christ. A few word pictures I would encourage you to consider this morning. The first is humility. Humility. He was in the form of God. Do you see the contrast in the text? He's in the form of God. Yet he did not consider equality with God. He, he said, that's something I can't grasp. He is the same substance as we learn in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1, the exact radiance of the glory of God. Yet, Jesus says, lift up the Father's name. Lift up the Father's name. There is a humility in contrasting that he is God, yet he also takes the form of a servant. There is a humility about Christ. Let's see his humility. And it leads us naturally to what the text says in that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Not only do we see humility, we see sacrifice. Jesus in the heavens says, yes, Dad, I'll be made in the flesh. I'll take on the form of a man. I will empty myself. I will pour out my life even to the point of death. Even to the point of death and death on a cross. Jesus in his identity is humble, yes, but also is one who gave his life as a ransom for many, amen? He was motivated out of a love for all who would repent and believe. He was motivated out of a love that we, being distanced from God because of our sin, might be made close again. But that's not all. He was also motivated because he wanted to glorify the Father. Humility, sacrifice. Look at another word picture, his name. And we're going to look at this in just a moment. His name, the name above all names, the name that Acts chapter four, verse 12 tells us, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. It's only through Christ that we can have salvation. Humility, sacrifice, a name. Here's the last part, glory, glory. Verse 11, that Jesus has a name above all names. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord and he's Lord because he's deserving of that. Yet he's also Lord because he wants to glorify his father to the glory of God, the father. His life is about glory. I said he's motivated by a love for us, but he's motivated more than that to glorify his father. 
Now here's what's interesting. If we truly see Jesus as he really is, what happens for us is we, we were far from God, but we're brought near by the blood of the cross, by the power of his resurrection. That's Easter morning, church. New life in Christ. And once that happens, we're made new. Second Corinthians 5 says we, we have a new heart, a new creation. And all these same words become true of us. Humility, sacrifice, name, glory. Let me show you how it works. We give our lives to Christ and now we live for something greater than us. John 3.30, he must increase, we must decrease. So we're invited into a relationship with Christ. We turn from sin, trust in him. And now this word humility describes the life of a believer. I'm living for something better than me, something bigger than me. Humility, sacrifice, right? You know the golden rule. Do unto others what you would want done to you. Even the context of Philippians says, think of others' interest above your own. Your life becomes a life of sacrifice once you're bonded with Christ, once you're united with him. It's humility, it's sacrifice, but look at this, it's so good, church. Jesus has a name above all names, yet when we become one with him, we are given a name, child of God, or adopted into his family, and not anything I do for my own namesake, but I live for his. And he says to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. When my identity is chiefly found in Christ and my name matters because Jesus gave me a name, now my life is worth something. Lastly, this idea of glory, that we look to the future, that we look to the consummation of the kingdom of Christ. Come Lord Jesus, come. And our life is for his purpose and for his glory. I just wonder, I wonder, as you see the Savior as who he really is, what does that mean for your life? What does it mean for you? If you don't know, let me just clearly say, as another point here, not only see the Savior, but respond to the Savior. Respond to Jesus for what he has really done. Now, I'm aware on Easter morning, we may have some people in the room that say, oh, I don't really believe Jesus died on the cross. I don't believe that. Pastor, I'm, I'm here, I'm here with my family. I'm here just because, I'm here because it's the time to go to church. My job is not to convince you. If you, if you wanna have an honest conversation about some apologetics from the word, come see me. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. What I wanna do now is not try to convince you, but just say plainly, because I believe that God has spoken to us by his word and I have a testimony, my life has been changed. Yes. That this Jesus thing, the cross and resurrection, it's for real. Amen. Respond to what he has done. Respond to Jesus for what he has really done. He has really risen from the grave. He really is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him. And every person in this seat who has not turned from sin and trusted in him has got to make a response. Respond. Why? Because Jesus really went to the cross. He really rose from the grave. Now, many people talk about Jesus. You may have heard people talk about Jesus. You may have spoken about Jesus before. And praise God for that. We're all ambassadors for Christ. We're missionaries. But I learned when I went to seminary in 2005 that I wasn't really sharing the gospel when I spoke about Jesus. 
a, a skinny little book written by a man named J.I. Packer called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God convinced me that if I did not tell somebody they needed to respond to the gospel, I have not shared the gospel. If I did not clearly communicate to somebody that the response that Jesus requires is repentance and faith, then I might have talked about Jesus, but I hadn't shared the gospel. It's very convicting to me because I want my life to count for his glory. I want to be told, well done, my good and faithful servant. So when I speak about Jesus now, I run to that response. I run to a conversation that says, now that you have heard Christ paid for your sin, that Jesus rose from the grave, what will you do with that information? Many times I would just simply say, you can either respond with repentance or you can reject with rebellion. It's just simple, thumbs up, thumbs down. Yet our culture, even in American Christianity, often we wanna live the middle road. One foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. That's not in my Bible, okay? You, you respond with repentance or you reject with rebellion. You gotta just know that there is two ways to live. There's a young man, I'm not gonna call him out by name, but he was wearing this bracelet. If you went to Family Life Weekend, you know about this bracelet. If you didn't, let me tell you about it. An evangelist friend of mine named Ryan Fontenot came and he encouraged people to wear these bracelets. If you watch uh, the NBA, you know, there's a, a really famous basketball player named Steph Curry. He wears this bracelet. Four little symbols here. There's a heart, division sign, a cross, and a question mark. For the sake of time, I will run through this, okay? God loved us, that's the heart. God desires relationship with his creation, that's the heart. The division is that we are divided from God because of our sin. We have rejected him, we have run from him. Isaiah 59 says we're separated because of our sin, but praise be to God, there's good news. This little cross reminds me that Jesus made a way. He went to the cross to pay for sin. He rose from the grave that, that we might know he truly is Christ. But the question mark comes to the response. The question mark is, will you receive Christ today? Will you repent and believe? Will you have your life changed forever by coming into a relationship with Jesus? That question mark is what I'm getting at in this sermon. Respond to Jesus for what he's really done. And so this young man I'm talking about, he was wearing this bracelet and I asked him a week and a half ago, can you share the gospel with me? And through nerves, he worked up the courage and he just used this bracelet to share the gospel. I was very impressed with that. I will be more and more impressed as this whole church develops a culture that says, we gotta tell people about Jesus. You had a chance. Thank you for the few that said amen. I will be more impressed and give glory to God when this whole church develops a culture that says, we gotta tell people about Jesus. Amen. amen. This response is important. Thumbs up, thumbs down. There's another verse. Jesus speaks of this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven. Oftentimes, and this is what I told the young man. I said, just, just run to what Jesus said. He said, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by the wide destruction gate are many. But the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And you speak about Christ and say, you've got to respond. Now that you know about Jesus, you'll be in one of two places, a narrow road that leads to life. And we are saved by grace 
through faith. Jesus picks us up and puts us on that narrow road when we receive him as king. Or we're on the wide road, that road that leads to destruction. There's not a middle road. Thumbs up, thumbs down. We must respond to this savior, Jesus Christ, for what he's really done. And so my question is, have you responded? Have you responded to Jesus? We see who he is, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Does that matter to you? Has it changed you? And if it hasn't, let me just give you briefly three ways, three very specific ways to respond. Those who have Jesus as their king are already living this way. They are living a Christ-exalting life. Everything they do, their heart, their actions, their attitudes is for Jesus. Those who have not still can. This is the beauty of the gospel. We're invited into new life with Jesus. You still can respond today, tonight, tomorrow, next week. But if you don't respond, you need to know what you're doing is rejecting in rebellion. I get that that's hard. I'm standing up here pounding the pulpit. But I'm doing it because it's the truth. I want you to know the truth. Three ways to live a Christ-exalting life. Number one, confess Jesus as Lord. Look back at our text, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Confess Jesus as Lord, whether that's initially for the first time and you start a walk with Jesus or whether that's daily. Jesus, you're in charge. You are Lord. I'm not Lord. You are Lord. I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. Jesus, you are, you are my king. I wanna live for you. You're the boss. You are Lord. Confess Jesus as Lord. Now this idea of name above all names is really interesting to me. One commentator lists out all the names that we see in scripture for God. I wanna read them to you because I think they're great. But as I read them to you, can you do this? Just imagine all of these names are not the name above all names. The name above all names is Jesus. Here are names of God in the scripture. Jesus Christ, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Messiah, Lord, first and the last, beginning and the end, alpha and omega, ancient of days, king of kings, and Lord of lords. God with us, God our Savior, the only wise God, the Lord who is, who was, and who is to come, the God Almighty, he continues. He's the door of the sheep, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the shepherd and bishop of our souls, a lamb without spot or blemish, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He's not done. He is the Lagos, the light of the world, the light of life, the tree of life, the word of life, the bread that came down from heaven, the resurrection, the way, the truth, and the life, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the rock, the bridegroom, the wisdom of God, our redeemer. He's beloved, the head over all things, which is the church. He's the one who is altogether lovely, the one in whom the Father's well pleased. Jesus has the name that's above all of those names. Confess the name of Christ. Confess Jesus is Lord. Confess Jesus, you're in charge. I want you to rule my life. In the Jewish culture, the name 
for God is Yahweh. This is a Hebrew name for God. They would not speak the name Yahweh. Instead, they would speak the name for Lord, Adonai. Adonai. What happens when we consider the name of Jesus is better than those things? The name of Jesus, because he's equal to the Father, there are huge implications to Jesus being equal to God. They share the same name and the same authority. And so we say, Jesus, you're Lord, you're Adonai. Jesus, you're God. Have you done that? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? And then let me take you back to John chapter three. It's not just that you say the right thing. It's that you have this relationship. What's going on with Mary at the empty grave and the empty tomb? She sees the risen Christ and doesn't know that it's him yet. Did you catch that when I read it at the beginning of the service? She did not realize that that is Jesus, the risen Lord. What did it take for her to realize that is Jesus? You know what it took? When he called her by name, Mary. He opens her eyes. She sees Jesus, the risen king. It says, my teacher, Rabboni. I just wonder if you know Jesus personally, intimately in relationship that it's not just saying the right thing, it's knowing relationally Jesus speaking your name and you know the master's voice. John 10, my sheep know my voice. They listen to my voice. You confess the name of Christ. That's really important. Do you know him personally? John chapter 20, have you met Christ? Have you surrendered to him? And I just wanna tell you what's coming. What's coming in this passage is that every knee would bow, every tongue confess. And so if you've not confessed Christ already, don't be too late. Don't be too late. Romans 10 says it like this. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Saved. New life in Christ. But if your confession and your heart don't line up to surrender to Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you may be too late. Don't be too late. One, confess the name. Number two, bow your knee to his authority. Bow your knee. And so we saw some of the language in Colossians 1. He made all things. And if Jesus made all things, he has authority over all things. This verse says something very big about the authority of Jesus. That he's whole over all of creation. He made it and he's in charge of it. Therefore, all of creation will bow. Not some people, not a number of people, not just the church, all. Every knee will bow. Why? Jesus has authority over it all. And so this promise in Philippians 2 is that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. He's been exalted. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father and there will be a day when he returns and whether you wanted to or not, you will be forced to recognize Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, name above all names. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That means all of Hades, all of hell, all the demonic, all those in rebellion to God, there will be a day where they will bow the knee. They will bow the knee and have to confess Jesus is Lord. Now what this is, is a beautiful picture of the authority of Christ. He's worthy. He's worthy. 
But it's also a very harsh warning that if you don't bow the knee in time, you will be forced to. It was promised in Isaiah chapter 45, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God, there's no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth it has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And so what Paul is doing is taking this Old Testament prophecy about God and the Redeemer and the coming Messiah and saying Messiah has already come. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave and there will be a day where every knee will bow. Don't be too late. I think of two movies and you may not know these movies. They're 20 years old by now, but do, do you know this movie Gladiator? I'm not necessarily recommending it. It's pretty gross and gory. It's a story of, of a general and a Roman army and the, the king is evil and the king comes through. The king destroys his land, destroys all of his crops, destroys his family, and he's brought into slavery. And he's brought into the Roman Colosseum where the king is there. He's made to be a gladiator and he's angry. I, I can't even imagine the bitterness and the frustration at this king that just took over all the stuff that I had worked for my whole life, my family, it's time for him to decide, am I gonna die right here in this Roman Colosseum or am I gonna bow this knee to an evil king? He wins the heart of the people, he bows the knee. Later on the movie continues, he is a gladiator that owns shop, he continues to do well and one day he gets to battle the king one by one. But this, this picture that he's forced against his will not wanting to submit to the authority of this evil king, yet he's forced right there in the Colosseum to bow the knee, forced, begrudgingly and against his will, he decides he's gonna keep his life, he bows the knee. That is a forced bowing of the knee. Now, let me give you a different picture, a submissive picture, a humble picture. And we get it from nature. And if you like the movie, The Planet of the Apes from 2001, you might've seen that they used this, they drew from this. This is an actual thing that scientists have, have uh, discovered about these chimps, all right, these monkeys. In a form of submission, they bow the knee with an open hand. Right? They find the alpha male and they say, do you receive me? Can I have your permission? I'm submitting to you. I'm willingly saying, you're the alpha, I'm not the alpha. I'm asking for permission. So if you see the movie, there's all this going on with the, the guy that trains the monkeys and all this. I'm not getting into that. Just see this picture, this humble submission that says, you, you, you're, you're in charge. You're the alpha, I'm not in charge, you're in charge. And then contrast these two images. Because when Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, you will be in eternity one of two people. Begrudgingly bowing your knees saying, Jesus, I didn't want to submit to you, but now I have to. You're the name above all names. Or the humble submission that says, Jesus, I submitted to you long ago. I did my best to live for you and all my Righteousness is from you. All my efforts are filthy rags, but I'm covered by your blood and I thank you. Here's my life, Lord. Which one will you be in eternity? 
I'm not saying that Jesus is an evil king, don't get me wrong. I'm not even saying he's the alpha male, he's better than that. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, but which one will you be? Humbly submitting your life, Jesus, take my life, take all of me, or in eternity, begrudgingly, frustratingly, bitterly saying, I'm gonna bow the knee. Because every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth will bow the knee. Don't be too late. There is freedom in surrender. There really is. I'd love to tell you more about it if you're curious. Confess the name of Jesus. Bow the knee to his authority. Here's the third way to live a Christ-exalting life. Live to the glory of God the Father. Look at verse 11. Jesus was chiefly motivated. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Because he, he wanted to glorify the Father. Live your life to the glory of God the Father. Those who confessed Christ and bowed the knee made him the king of kings, made him the boss of their life. They're now living for the glory of God the Father. We don't live for our name. We live for a greater name. And we live for his. Jesus showed us the way, how he lived in obedience to God. He glorified God by showing humility to the glory of God the Father. He went to the cross to the glory of God the Father. And he was exalted to the glory of God the Father. In John chapter 15, one of my favorite verses, Jesus says this about those who trust and follow him. He says, you prove to be my disciples by bearing much fruit. He also says, by this, bearing much fruit and abiding in me, my father is glorified. If you're a Christian, you wanna know how to bring glory to God? Stick close to Jesus, abide in him, and then bear fruit. Let your life count for his glory. By doing that, you glorify the Father, and by doing that, you prove to be a disciple of Jesus. Live to the glory of God the Father. Paul said also in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. And so I'm asking you this morning, if you're a Christian, how are you doing at your efforts to live for the glory of God? I'm not going to give you a scorecard. You know your relationship with the Lord. Are you living for his glory or are you not? There are many people in this room that would love to help you, come alongside of you, put an arm around you and say, let's run this race for Jesus together. I'm still meeting so many people in this church family, but I would love to do that. Say, let's live for his glory. Or are you in the room and you've not ever confessed Christ? or bow the knee to submit to Jesus as king, you can't live to the glory of God the Father. You don't have enough righteousness on your own. You can't obey him on your own. You can't bring anything good to him, but in Christ, in Christ, he can redeem you and give you new life and give you a new heart and then live to the glory of God the Father. We come to a place at the end of the sermon where we have to respond and every time the Bible's opened, we, we will respond with either greater obedience, the Holy Spirit convicts us of an area of our life that needs to change, or we'll respond by shutting our ears. I don't need that. I don't want that. Shutting our eyes. No, I'm gonna look at something different. I'm gonna be distracted by something different today. There's so many things going on. It's Easter Sunday and I've, I've gotta focus on something else. 
Which way will you respond to the word? Maybe it's been a while since you fixed your eyes on Christ and you came to church this Easter and this is a moment where you turn your gaze to the heavens and you say, Lord, let me fix my eyes on you. Maybe you came to church and you're not yet a Christian. You can respond to what Christ has really done. He really died to pay for sin and he really rose from the grave. The question mark on my wrist or the thumbs up, thumbs down, today could be an amazing day for you to say yes to Jesus. Would you be my king? Would you be my Lord? Would you forgive me? I wanna live for you. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm gonna make small steps. Jesus, change me, wash me clean today. I don't know how you need to respond, but I do know that the gospel demands a response and the scriptures demand a response. So in this moment, as we sing, the praise team's gonna come on up here. Don't just walk through this moment one more time and say, okay, I'm gonna sing this song and we're gonna be done. Do business with God today. Ask the Holy Spirit in, in humble surrender, what needs to change in my life that I might live to the glory of God the Father? What needs to change for me that, that I might be seeing Christ as better, seeing Christ as supreme? Who do I need to surround myself with? Other believers that are running hard after Jesus. Easter is such a great celebration. Cynthia made, made reference to it. We put on our, our Easter duds, right? But more than anything, God wants our hearts. God wants our hearts. In this moment, would you respond? Would we praise him? He's done great things. Would we lift up a voice of praise? Would we say Jesus paid it all? But more than that, would we walk out of these doors ready to live for him? I wanna ask you one more time before I pray, what's your answer to these three questions? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you bowed the knee to his authority? Are you living for the glory of God the Father? Lord, help us even as we go. Lord, help us to live for you. We can't do it on our own strength, but Jesus, you've made a way. You've promised the Holy Spirit You've been good. And so however people need to respond to come pray with a pastor, come sit right here on your altar, right at these steps, praying prayers of surrender or walking out these doors different than the way they walked in. Help us know how to live for you today. And this week and this month and this year, help our lives to count for your glory. We pray that in Jesus' name.